Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Okay, I am going to pray. We are in 2 Samuel 15 soap this morning. And uh, let me pray and then we'll jump in and we'll do it a little different today. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that um, we can just be together this morning um, and that we can refresh ourselves with you and with each other. And Father, we pray that as we look into your word this morning, you would give us each um, the, rele- the relevant observation and application for each one of us this morning. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we are in 2 Samuel 15. Uh, Let me give you a really quick summary of 13 and 14 as it leads into 15. Um, Okay, so I guess it was last week sometime. Um, So 2 Samuel 13 tells the story of Amnon, one of King David's sons, who rapes his half-sister Tamar. David did nothing to avenge that. So Absalom takes matters into his own hands and all this family drama carries on and Absalom um, has Tamar killed. So lots of drama. We go into 14. Um, A woman from Tekoa approaches King David with a cleverly Devised story to reconcile him with his estranged son Absalom. Um, David is moved by her words, decides to allow Absalom to return to, to Jerusalem, setting the stage for this very complex family reunion and political um, dynamics within the kingdom. Okay, so here we are in 2 Samuel 15, bearing all of that in mind, leading up to where we are now. Let me just. Okay, so I think what I'm going to do today is I'm actually going to read. I'm going to let Nicole off the hook today. I'm going to <laughs> look at her. She's so excited. I'm going to read uh, a block of verses at a time, and then we'll jump into those. Um, because it's so long, it's probably going to be a little easier to do it this way. So we'll try this out. Okay, so Second Samuel 15, I'm going to read the first six verses. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me and I would see they receive justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, 
Absalom would reach out his hand, would take hold of him and kiss him. Absalom believed in this way. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Okay, so let's break this section down. You notice the manipulation going on here? So verse 1 it mentions chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. So <laughs> Absalom's putting on a show. And because he has this 50 men in front of the chariots, it just means that he didn't need the chariots for speed because his men in front of it, he needed to make an impressive uh, procession. He was putting on a show. And then secondly, this is Absalom, the, the politician, kind of sensing what the people want and knowing to give them the image of that. So he's putting on a show for the people. Um, <laughs> the manipulation has begun. Okay, another observation. Now, Samuel, who anointed Absalom's father, went around on foot, right? He was a humble man. Notice the um, comparison of Samuel, who traveled on foot, and here we see um, Absalom, who wants to travel with an entourage of chariots and men running ahead of it. Okay, now verse 2, he says, Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king or a decision, so he's there, and he's making the statement now, we need to just remember that in these days, ancient kings were not just the heads of the government. They were also the Supreme Court. So they were the ones who ruled on issues. So if someone believed that the local court could not give them justice, then they appealed to the court of the king, where the king or one of his representatives would hear their case. Um, verse 3 he says, look, your claims are valid and proper. But there is no representative of the king to hear you. So here we see that Absalom is stirring up dissatisfaction with David's government and he's campaigning against David by promising to provide justice that David supposedly wasn't doing. Um, verse 4 continues. Uh, see the drama. If only I were appointed judge in the land. So... Absalom had reason to be disillusioned with David's um, administration. If you remember two chapters back, when Amnon raped Tamar, David really didn't do too much about it. Now, uh, when Absalom did something about it, David banished Absalom and kept him at a distance, even when he came back. So you can see this... Um, how he's playing on past experience, but he has this illusionment that he's trying to communicate. Verse 5, uh, whenever anyone approached him, Absalom would reach out his hand and kiss him. Again, you see the manipulation going on. So Absalom was very skilled at projecting this image as being a man of the people, right? I'm here for you. Let me kiss your hand. So in an obvious display, he wouldn't let others bow down to him, but would lift them up. He would shake their hand, embrace them. 
Okay. Now, from what we know about Absalom, we can guess that he didn't really consider himself a man of the people. He would normally act as he was above others and the laws that applied to others. You know, he thought he was better looking, smarter than them, better political instincts. But so these instincts made Absalom know that he had to create the image of a man of the people. So that's what he's trying to do here. He's trying to um, play to their emotional uh, securities, their issues. It sounds a bit familiar, right? Very, very political. Okay, let's move on. Uh, okay, verse six, we're going to break this down a little more. Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So Absalom is cunning, you know, his campaign is working, and he was becoming more popular and more trusted than David. So let's take a look at exactly how Absalom did this. So the list of things that he did. And as we look at this thing, think about situations, workplaces, um, I don't know, different environments that you're in. And we can learn from Absalom about how people manipulate and how people um, can basically influence you sometimes in a negative way. So here's the things that Absalom did. So he carefully cultivated an exciting, enticing image, right? So he used chariots and horses and men running ahead of him. He worked hard. Absalom would rise early. He knew where to position himself. So by the side of the road leading to the city gate, he looked for troubled people, right? Anyone who had a lawsuit or complaint, he was there to hear them. He reached out to troubled people. Absalom would call out to them. He took a personal interest in the troubled person. He asked, what town are you from, right? He made it look as if he was really interested. He sympathized with the person. Your claims are valid and proper. Um, and this one's interesting. He never attacked David direct, directly. He made statements like, no representative of the king is here to hear you, right? No names are mentioned. He left the troubled person more troubled by saying that, well, no one's here to hear your complaints. So without directly attacking David, Absalom promised to do better. If only I were appointed judge in the land, then every, everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me and I could see that they receive justice. So do you see the level of discontent and um, manipulation that's going on here? Absalom is coming against David, but in a very covert, underhanded way. Okay, so let's take a, a moment to do a little application here, a little self-reflection. Now, if we draw some parallels here between possibly our own behavior, things that we do, and Absalom's behavior, um, there are some indicators that can be um, traits or 
indicators that um, we might be behaving similar to Absalom. So let's take a look at, I think I have a list of seven things here. So ambition without regard for consequences is number one. So if you find yourself relentlessly pursuing personal ambition, especially if it means undermining or rebelling against authority figures, you might be displaying a trait similar to Absalom's ambition, right? So ambition without regard for consequences. Number two, um, seeking power and influence. If you prioritize gaining power, influence, or popularity at any cost, even if it involves manipulating others or fostering division, that is a parallel with Absalom's actions in his quest for the throne. So all of these things are unhealthy behaviors. Number three, betraying trust. If you've betrayed the trust of close friends, family members, colleagues, or personal gain or advancement, and then that resembles Absalom's betrayal of his father and advisors. Okay, number four. If we lack empathy and compassion, um, you if you show a disregard for the well-being and feelings of others, particularly when your actions directly harm them or cause division, you might be behaving like Absalom, who is willing to cause strife and suffering for his own benefit. So lacking empathy and compassion. Number five, disregard for wisdom and counsel. If you constantly ignore wise advice or counsel from others and instead rely solely on your own judgment, that mirrors Absalom's rejection of the counsel of wise advisors. Like, and this is a, try to say this guy's name, uh, Hithophel and Hushai. Okay, so we'll get to those guys a little later. Number six, manipulative behavior. If you engage in manipulative tactics to gain support or favor, such as spreading misinformation or sowing discord amongst people or colleagues or friends and family, you share similarities with Absalom's cunning methods. Again, so manipulative behavior is unhealthy. Rebellion against established authority. If you rebel against existing structures or leadership, whether in a family, workplace, or your community, without cause or a clear moral imperative, you may resemble Absalom's rebellion against King David. So these are seven things we can learn from Absalom on what not to do, right? And what and how not to behave. So this story um, in Absalom of Absalom in chapter 15 is serving as a cautionary tale for us of the consequences of unchecked ambition and the destructive nature of rebellion. Bottom line, don't do it, right? Don't act like Absalom. Okay, now, David, as we know, is a man after God's own heart, but yet um, he'd done a lot of things. He had some immoral acts, that it happened, Israel is now dis dissatisfied with him, and they have let this wicked, amoral man, Absalom, steal their hearts. So there's uh, many reasons why this happened, 
But let's just list out a few observations here. So David's getting older. Right, David's sin, and now we know he'd done a lot of things leading up to this, right? Um, Amnon and Tamar situation, um, people's wives, you know, lots of different things. And David's sins had diminished his standing, and actions have consequences, right? When we sin, there are consequences. Um, people like change, and Absalom was exciting and different, but not what they needed, right? So this is another thing that's affecting David's leadership. Absalom was very skilled and cunning, and David still has to enter um, into a time of really dealing with everything that's been happened, the rejection, and he has to deal um with everything that's got him to this point. So David's at a place where he needs to process and really deal with what's going on. Okay, so we'll jump into verses 7 through 10. Uh, let me just read that for you. So at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living at Geshur in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. The king said to him, um, go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. All right, so again, we see the manipulation going on. So let's break this down a little bit. So verse 7, he says, Let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow which I made to the Lord. Now, Absalom is committing treason under the guise of worship. He knew that the appearance of spirituality could work in his favor. Now, divisive people almost never see themselves as divisive, right? They see themselves as crusaders for God's righteous cause and often believe or hope that God's hand is on them, even when it's not. And this is especially a problem when many will only believe a person is divisive if they were to admit they're divisive, right? And obviously they're not going to do that. So it creates a lot of manipulation, a lot of belief in someone who should not be leading. Verse 9, uh, it says, go in peace. Now Absalom is counting on the hope that most of Israel would see this as succession and not treason, right? But we all know that his ultimate goal here is to get David, uh, to take over from David in whatever way possible. Okay, uh, verse 11 through 12 says... 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They were invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. Wow, let's see, I'm going through 12. So while Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite. 
David's counselor to come from Gilau, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength and Absalom's following kept on increasing. Okay, so we have 200 men from Jerusalem that accompany him. Now, Absalom knew that he needed others to endorse him or at least appear to endorse his government. So he has all these men. Um, he counted out these 200 men who were not against David to at least be silent and therefore give the impression that there were four Absalom. You see what he's doing here? So when the innocent and unknowing are among the divisive, their silence is always received as agreement. So application we can take from this. So there are times to be quiet and times we need to speak out, right? And so Absalom is playing on the silence of these men. And so a message has been sent based on their silence that they are for Absalom. So there are times to be silent and time to speak up. So as we look at this, we can learn a bunch of lessons about when to be silent and when to speak. So um, let's break this down a little more. So silence in the face of betrayal would be the first point here. So when David learns of Absalom's rebellion, he chooses silence and restraint of immediate retaliation. David is wise and makes the right choice at this moment. This initial silence allows him to assess the situation. And this is really important. Seek God's guidance, right? So when we choose silence, we really need to be leaning into God and asking the Holy Spirit to guide us. So he seeks God's guidance to make a wise decision rather than reacting impulsively. It teaches us that in times of betrayal or crisis, it can be prudent to pause and reflect before speaking or taking action. So less of me, more of God. And I'm doing that through stopping, right? This is something that I've always tried to teach my kids. Before you respond to anything, stop pause, right? Take a moment, you know, seek God's wisdom. And if it means taking much longer than a moment, taking a day, whatever it is, um, leaning into God before speaking or taking action. So silence in the face of betrayal. Number two, speaking in prayer. So instead of responding to the rebellion with anger or violence, David speaks to God through prayer. He seeks divine strength and guidance, um, demonstrating that in moments of adversity, turning to prayer and seeking spiritual counsel can be more effective than hasty words or actions. So speaking in prayer. Here, number three, um, choosing words carefully. While David is in exile, his loyal friend, uh, Hushai, strategically chooses when to speak. 
He feigns alliance to Absalom, but secretly supports David's cause. This illustrates the importance of using words carefully and diplomatically in difficult situations, especially when expressing loyalty to different parties. This is probably the most complex and difficult situation, right? How do you choose? How do you know? And this again is a time when you need God's wisdom through the Holy Spirit. Okay, number four, speaking truth to power. All right. Okay. It's essential to recognize moments when speaking out against injustice or oppression is necessary. Uh, when David is confronted by Shammai, who curses and accuses him unjustly, one of David's followers urges him to execute him. However, David chooses not to, possibly recognizing that there are times when it's best to endure insults criticism rather than resorting to violence. Okay, so let me get back to the first point here, speaking truth to power. It's essential to recognize moments when speaking out against injustice or oppression is necessary. So I'm reminded of a story which I think I've shared with you before, but some of you may not have heard it. Uh, when I was 18, um, living in South Africa, I was in the army doing national service. And I, I was living in a country that was still under apartheid at the time. So there was injustice all around, right? I grew up in a world that was difficult to understand. Um, you know, things were not spoken about. So in the army, I ran into a situation where a racist uh, commander basically asked us to throw tear gas at somebody's wedding reception purely because they were not the same color as us. And so that injustice began a thought process in me, which was saying, hey, something's wrong here. You need to act. Now, as a young man in the army, I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I was under the authority of, you know, the military commanders at the time. But the Holy Spirit was clearly working in me so I ended up going to a military court, uh, becoming a, re a religious objector, saying, hey, you know, the things you guys are doing, I'm not for them. And I want to make a choice to not be a part of that. So I ended up being um, them accepting my plea that I was able to complete my time without bearing arms. So. I did not know what God was doing at the time. It took years for me to recognize that. But it was a time where the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, you're seeing something that's unjust. What are you going to do about it? And that's fortunately, I made the right decision that one time. So um, speaking truth to power sometimes is necessary. Okay, number five. Speaking up when someone is in danger. So Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Galenite, David's counselor. So Absalom's government um, 
gain more prestige when one of David's top aides defected to his side. Now, this really hurt David. He describes his feelings. If you take a look at Psalm 41, he says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted where ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Psalm 41 verse 9. So Ahithophel was renowned for his wisdom and his wise counsel. And if you go jump ahead to 2 Samuel 16, 23, you'll see that. And even wise men can take their side with divisive and destructive leaders. Um, in Ahithophel's case, it was probably prompted by a sense of personal hurt and bitterness. And watch this. Because of what David did to Ahithophel's granddaughter, Bathsheba. Notice the generational hurt here, so 2 Samuel 11. Um, so there's a, a memory of a hurt that is causing Ahithophel to respond in this way. All right, so let me jump ahead a little bit. We have barely got through this, it is 628. Okay, so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to verse 19. Let me read 19 to 23, and then we'll probably wrap up there. Um, 19. The king said to Ittai, the Gittite, why should you come along with us? Excuse me, go back and stay with King Absalom. You are a foreigner and exiled from your homeland. Um, go on a little bit. Um, you came only yesterday and today. Shall I make you wander about with us when I do not know where I'm going? Go back and take your people with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faith faithfulness. But Ittai replied to the king, As surely as the Lord lives, and my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king may be. Notice how often the word king has been said here. Wherever the lord, my lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant, there will your servant be. David said to Ittai, go ahead, march on. So Ittai the Gittite marched on with all his men and the families that were with him. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on toward the wilderness. Okay, so before we jump into this section, we'll do it fast. Let me give you a summary of the whole of this chapter 15. So, um, basically, we are going through this plot of Absalom to overthrow um, King David and take the throne, okay? So here we have Ittai. So it says, why should you come along with us? So as David watches this procession, um, Ittai the Gittite catches his eye. Now, David can't understand why this newly arrived foreigner took such a risk you know, of open loyalty to David. So he says, go back to Absalom. 
Now, wherever my Lord, the King might be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. So Itai is demonstrating his loyalty to David when it looked like it would cost him something. Uh, true loyalty isn't demonstrated until it is likely to cost something to be loyal. You see what's happening? So let's take a real quick look at Itai. So we can learn a lot about from Itai's demonstration of loyalty. So Itai was loyal when David was down, right? Itai, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, did it decisively. Itai did it voluntarily. Itai did it having newly come to David. Itai did it publicly. And Itai was loyal, knowing that the fate of David could become his fate. And so the final thing I want to say is we look at Itai's loyalty to David. It should cause us um, to look at our own loyalty to Christ, right? Um, are we unwavering? Right? Are we steadfast? Are we wholeheartedly dedicated um, to Jesus, even though there may be a cost, right? Um, just running down in my notes here. So, um, Itai's loyalty was counteracting the trends, right? So, Itai's loyalty stands out in contrast to others who abandoned David. Similarly, loyalty to Jesus often requires going against the cultural or societal trends that may lead others from our faith, right? Itai's example encourages us to stand firm in our devotion to Jesus, even when others may waver, right? Even when it's hard. It is a choice. So Itai makes a choice to follow David. And in a similar way, loyalty to Jesus involves making a deliberate choice to follow his teachings, his principles, even when it may not be the easiest or the most popular. All right? Can you resonate with that? So I think this might be one of the biggest lessons we can learn from this chapter is what does it look like to truly follow God? You know, are we going to be like Absalom, who um, was manipulative, he was divisive, he had his own intentions, right, of gaining power. But yet at the end of the day, um, David is a man after God's own heart. He is a man who follows God. And so as we look at this, um, let's not... Let's not go easy on our loyalty to Christ, right? Let's make the choices that are necessary to follow Christ's ways and his examples. So we didn't get through this whole thing, but I think we looked at some important things um, in this chapter. You know, are we like Absalom? We looked at a bunch of traits, things that he did. You know, what does it mean to speak or not to speak? And then what does it look like? I think our challenge is, um, are we loyal to Christ? Are we doing everything possible to pursue his um, purposes? And are we being the hands and feet of Jesus with the purpose of making Jesus known to everyone? All right. Thank you, guys, for jumping in this, this long chapter. And let me pray, and then I'll let you guys go. 
So, Father, we thank you for all we can learn from um, this drama between David and his family and this dysfunction. And, Father, as we look at Absalom, we see the things that we should avoid. As we look at someone like Itai, we see what um, loyalty looks like, um, especially as we choose to follow you. Father, would you make us bold? Would you make us um, not follow societal norms? Would you, would you make us choose to follow your ways, even when it's hard, even when there's a cost? Father, I pray today that each one of us would make choices which would allow us to be your hands and feet so that we can make your name known and make you famous um, throughout our homes, our um, regions, our community, and our jobs. Father, would we, would we be worthy followers of you? Would you teach us to be loyal? Would you make us brave? And would you fill us with your spirit? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you what you teach us every time. And we just pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day.